with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. In today's program, we'll talk about where will the global food prices go this year, and why are the world's top green firms making such record profits among the worldwide food crisis? And we will also take a look at the U.S. inflation numbers and its stock markets. And now, let's begin with our top story. The UN Food Agency's latest figure shows that、uh, the global food prices in July was 13 percent higher than a year ago. According to the Food and Agriculture Organization data, prices could keep rising. And in its worst-case scenario, the UN estimates that the global food prices could jump another 8.5 percent in five years. It says the current global food crisis is not driven by availability but by surging prices. And meanwhile, a A recent report from the Guardian pointed out that the world's top green firms, especially the four largest, known as A, B, C, and D, are making record profits among this worldwide food crisis. So, who are the world's top four green firms, and how are they making huge profits in this crisis? So, for more on this, join us on the line now are Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Novem Archi Technologies, and also Ina Tangen, Senior Fellow. At the Taihe Institute, so Jiahe, first of all, the UN Food Agency shows that、uh, the food prices in July was 13 percent higher than a year ago. So, what do you make of that, and what are the main reasons behind it? Well, there has been、uh, multiple reasons when we look at this food price surge in the past、uh, past. Uh, something like twelve to eighteen months.、Uh, the food price has been staying、uh, stable for many years before this, but recently this price has just、uh, came up. I think there are mainly at least three、uh, problem,、uh, three reasons behind it.、Uh, the first one is attributed to the. Rising of the global oil price. You know, oil is an important、uh, component for making fertilizers. So the when we see the oil prices、uh, rises from like thirty dollar per barrel back in two thousand twenty to almost one hundred twenty dollar per barrel、uh, just a few months ago, there is a very uh, large uh, consequence on the food price. That when the fertilizer、uh, prices has been going up, the food price we,、uh, will just go up because they actually do use a Large amount of fertilizer nowadays in our food production industry.、Um, the second is attributed to the conflict between、uh, Russia and Ukraine. You know, both of the countries are important exporters of food as well as fertilizers. So conflict between these two countries is really. Uh, putting a lot of pressure onto the global、uh, price of the food. Now, finally, there is the extreme temperature that we have seen in this year. We have got a huge heat in both China and Europe,、uh, so a lot of food production has been reduced. Uh, reduced, so that that also resulted in the rising food price around the world. At least these are the three very important reasons.、Mm. So, Anna, so what do you think are the main reasons, and how high will the global food prices go? 
Well, there's there's also logistics, you know, it, it, and as uh, my colleague was saying, you know, Russia alone it had about 14 percent of the world's fertilizer market, and you start looking at sunflower oil and, and wheat and things like this. Uh, these are things, but remember, food is somewhat fungible. If it's not going to A, it's going to B. The demand is is constant. People don't stop eating because uh, you know uh, things change. They this is a necessity, and so is energy to running an economy. So at this juncture, logistical issues associated with geopolitical rivalries, it's, you know, you how do you pay for Russian wheat? You, well, it's very difficult because the banks won't accept it, except for there are some exceptions being made for different countries. Uh, Ukraine and Russia both had a bumper crop this year, whereas China, uh, uh, Brazil, uh, and some parts of uh, India uh, were really uh, having a very t- tough time due to global warming. So. You know, let's take a, a broad look at the risks. You have logistical issues. Those will be settled probably after two, two to five years. Uh, for instance, uh, LNG uh, tankers are on the way. Uh, that'll probably be a result in a, an overreaction and a glut. Uh, if you start looking at uh, global warming, that is a constant. It's going to continue. That involves uh, both the issue of uh, you know extreme heat, extreme weather, flooding. Uh, we see what happens in Pakistan. One third of the country is underwater, causing 36 million people to be displaced. But all of those crops are gone, and those were fertile uh, basins. So, on top of the you know the climate disaster, there's going to be a food disaster that follows that, and you're going to start to see this pattern uh, continuing. Um, obviously, there are other inputs, and there are other ways of solving this. Uh, one of the issues is that we tend to think of food as uh, naturally grown, etc. Uh, you're going to start to see increasing emphasis on um, procedures that allow you to basically print food uh, using lab-grown uh, you know, techniques. This, uh, if it can be made efficient, uh, will become into competition with naturally grown uh, foods and uh, meats. Mm-hmm. And Jiahe, there are some hope in the form of the green export out of Ukraine on a UN broker deal. But how much will it relieve the food crisis globally? Well, you know, this export uh, from Ukraine is definitely important for the global food market because more supplies really uh, reduce the price of uh, the overall market. And that's one more thing is the expectation because currently uh, many food dealers are really regarding this war between Ukraine and Russia as a very important component uh, to to support the global food price uh, commodity to go upward because uh, this really uh, reduces the export. But now we see the increase in export, which means uh, traders will start to say, okay, this war might end, or even if this war goes on, we still have enough export. So that will put pressure onto uh, the global food price. That That is for sure. But if you look at the overall um, overall volume of the export, that's really not enough. So I think it's a more important thing is the impact on the trader's mind with this export. And Jiahe, a recent report from the Guardian newspaper said the world's top uh, green traders, those firms, uh, have made rich profits among the soaring uh, food prices around the world. So what's your take on that? 
Well, that, that's true. I mean, um, things happen with these kinds of companies. You know, when the oil price went upward, uh, because we have been trading uh, quite a lot of stocks in Hong Kong, especially the oil stocks. We actually bought a lot of oil stocks back two years ago when the oil price uh, was really at its bottom, about $30 per barrel. Uh, and we thought oil would rise up one day and the companies will make profits. And when the oil price uh, went to $100 per barrel this year, our companies made huge amount of profits. So this goes on the same thing with the food trading companies. When you see a lot of, well, these giant uh, food companies, they, they both trade and they also work on the food to make food products out of the raw materials. So when the food price uh, really goes up, they, they make extraordinary profits. That's a very uh, euro um, business situation that we are seeing here. Mm, so Aina, tell us more about the top green firms known as the A, B, C, and D. Of course, that's um, just the abbreviations, but uh, please tell us who are they and how they are making the profits in this crisis. Uh, they're basically American and European combines that have a, a lock on the world's uh, agriculture. What they they, uh, they like their favorite um, pastime is to uh, sell people GMO seeds. Uh, these these uh, produce very large crops, uh, but the you know there's a danger if there's a disease that affects them, it could wipe out your whole crop. They also make you dependent because these you cannot replant these seeds. They, it's it's very difficult. So what they do is uh, they, they sell it to you this year and then they sell it to you next year and they basically uh, become you know <laughs> your only supplier. You really have no uh, uh, chance to get away from them, and that's what they're trying to do. Uh, you know, with their massive profits, this is going to be the same as the oil companies. I know my colleague here is uh, exulting over the fact that uh, they made a good investment, but, but the fact is the public sees this and they see these windfall profits, and in the United States and other places, you're going to see increasing pressure uh, to seize some of those profits. Uh, basically, because they see this as uh, you know, taking advantage of the market. Uh, these are both commodities that are not choices. This isn't like whether you buy a Louis Vuitton bag. This is food and energy. One you can't live without with personally, and the other your society cannot live without because it cannot uh, uh, continue you know, taking care of people, uh, creating enough energy for factories, etc., so don't don't expect this all to be very rosy. Uh, the fact that we're talking about these uh, these big combines and the amount of power that they have uh, that is going to filter through to the press and result in uh, them having to disgorge profits if it gets too large. Mm, and Ina, as you mentioned, that is um, you know it's understandable for private companies to make money even in situations like this with the soaring, the inflation, and uh, the disrupted logistics. But uh, at the same time, when you see people are starving and you are making a higher profit, there is a moral issue in play. So, what do you think should this company and the government must do. Well, you know, this is the funny thing. Uh, China's system is based on uh, having a socialist moral uh, idea guiding society. So for China, it's very simple. But it's more complex when you get in the West, where we, we always believe the market forces should solve everything. Now, ironically, uh, the American and, and uh, European governments are reacting the same way that China would, in the sense of saying, look, as you just said, there's a moral principle here. But, you know, it's very difficult for the companies, and I can understand it. No one felt sorry for the companies when they were literally paying people to take oil because, you know, they, they had these uh, contracts out there and they had nowhere to store it. Um, no one felt sorry for them at that time, and no one felt sorry for the producing companies, uh, countries. 
that were underwater in terms of their budgets and things like that. But as soon as there's a windfall, then people say you have to disgorge it. So, you know, there has to be some rationalization that goes along with it. Part of this is a, is getting rid of these large combines, these uh, monopolistic uh, groups uh, that you know either singly or the top three or four or five uh, groups within it can literally control huge markets, not only domestically but internationally. That is not a good place. We saw that with baby formula. You know, one, you know, there's three top baby formula makers in the U.S. One of them had a problem, and there's a massive shortage. People were struggling to feed their children. This is not acceptable. If you're going to have market principles, apply them, but under some sort of you know government uh, regulation to make sure that things don't get out of whack in terms of power and also in terms of marketplace organization. Mm, so, Jiahe, what do you think? What do you think should the uh, these companies do and the governments do? Well, I, I think actually I agree with the free market principle because、mm. you know these companies sometimes lose money. Okay, when when the grant prices were really low,、uh, they, they actually do lose money, and no one pays them in that case. And now they are making quite a lot of profit when the market goes up,、um, and people are not happy about that, and they try to cut the profit out.、Um, so yeah, I mean the government has the right to do so if they think the profits are really too high. They can really pass the legislation and say you can't have that much profit. You probably can can have only. Maybe 20% on your、uh, the return on equity. This is this is the maximum you can have, and、um, out of that you're paying taxes. So that's the thing that the government might be able to do if they really think it's serious.、Uh, there is one more thing is that when we talk about the shortage of grain,、um, it doesn't really mean people have to starve in some cases because not all the grain, corns, and wheat are really used for、uh, people's food. It might be used for like、uh, producing alcohol,、uh, producing more meat. These kind of things. So it's a possibility that when we are talking about reducing、um, consumption level of corn, wheat,、um, this kind of、um, food, it doesn't really mean that, that everyone have to starve. It just mean、uh, it might just mean that some of the meat prices are going up, some of the alcohol prices are going up. So this is just one other point that I I think we we might have to consider. Mm-hmm. And so, Ina, some organizations and politicians are also calling for a windfall tax on the big、uh, grain trading firms to balance the global food market. So, what do you make of that? Well, it's in very in inevitable, given that you have democracies where、um, people, res-、uh, politicians, respond not to the long term but to the short term interests and concerns of voters, their constituents. Uh, you know, and the constituents are feeling real pain. I mean,、uh, I know my colleague says, "Well, you know, you, you know, free market principle is great,、uh, but not when you know women and children are suffering." I mean, there's 845 million people, almost one tenth. Or a little over one tenth of the world's population that is food insecure. 150 more million of them are women than men.、Um, when you have a situation where people can't eat because they can't afford to, and they they can't、uh, air condition themselves, or you know have the basic necessities, and the economy stop, there has to be some sort of regulation that comes in, and that's what governments are for.、Uh, the question is, are you being consistent? Uh, if you say I'm a purely market-driven、uh, economy, then you have to let the market go. But if you keep jumping in and, and then criticizing others for doing the same thing, I think that、uh, is a hypocrisy, and and that's really what we're、uh, we're dealing with today. People feel that no one is looking out for their interests. That's why Donald Trump was elected. He, he claimed he would take their interests. He didn't, but you know they felt that he would. 
So this kind of populism is going to continue to drive things, and it's going to get worse. And Jiahe, so talking about the grain distribution issue, how do you see the grain distribution among developed and developing countries during this hard time? Well, when we talk about this, it's it's really a, a, a tricky question between whether we are talking about a global market or a global politics. You know, when we when we look at the food uh, food market, especially when we talk about things like grain and how you are distribute these kind of grain uh, between countries, it can be a very market thing. Uh, I mean, people uh, pay the price and get. Uh, whatever they're wanting, or it can be a very political thing. A、uh, grain is something really essential for the economies around the world. So, so these、uh, kind of distribution. If some countries believe that they can't really、uh, buy their grain from the market as freely as they want, then that might just hurt the global market. I don't really think a hurted、uh, global market can be a good news for the global food price. So, Ina. So, how do you see the grain distribution among the developed and developing countries? Well, it's patently unfair. Those with money, of course, will get what they want.、Uh, those without will uh, suffer. Uh, this is the way it's always been.、Uh, that's why we had things like the United Nations, etc. That these were supposed to be groups that even things out, that made things fairer. I mean, the Doha Round.、Uh, No one remembers it anymore. But today we fight, we face the exact kind of crisis that we are trying to avoid、uh, by having talks like the Doha Round. How to make things fair? How to help developing countries and emerging companies rise to a level where they are in fact food and energy secure and can weather these types of situ-、uh, situations? You know, obviously, we didn't do that. Mm. So, Ina. So, the UN estimates that the global food prices could jump another more than eight percent in five years. So, do you think the food prices will remain higher across the board for everybody? Yes, I mean it, it, it's true, but I mean you have to kind of parse that up. They said、uh, over a five-year period.、Uh, my question was when I, I was looking through the report, I could not find whether that was above inflation. Uh, or whether that include inflation, so that eight and a half percent is very murky.、Uh, quite frankly, we could have、uh, that within the next two years easily,、uh, because of all the things that we've been talking in terms of logistics, fertilizers,、uh, global warming,、uh, etc. So at, at this juncture, I, I, I don't put much stock in what they've said.、Um, You know, they identified some issues which are short-term,、uh, especially specifically logistics,、uh, which will be ironed out over within a five-year period,、uh, and probably you know you'll see a crash in prices,、uh, especially、uh, in, in shipping. Well, we're speaking with Ina Tangen, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute, and also Chen Jiahe, chief investment officer at Novum Archie Technologies. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the U.S. inflation and its stock markets. Stay with us. Hello, this is Michael Zhang. Greetings from Los Angeles of the Golden State of California. Thank you today for making me part of your team. I truly enjoyed the debates we had, and look forward to many more in the years to come.
You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. U.S. inflation remained unexpectedly high in August. The Consumer Price Index, which tracks a wide range of goods and services, increased by 0.1% from July on a monthly basis. And over the last 12 months, the CPI rose 8.3%, down slightly from July's 8.5%. So, Aina, the U.S. inflation remained high in August with prices up 8.3%. It's a little bit lower than July, but it's still higher than expectation. So is it safe to assume that the CPI is reversing course in the United States? No, I mean, you're seeing a, a plateauing going on, and this is really the, the problem that you have. I mean, the Fed is, uh, the reason the market reacted so violently is because they're afraid the, the Fed is going to push a 100 basis point uh, increase in the, in the rate, and they had priced in uh, 50 to 75 percent. So you saw people heading for the exits as they try to figure out what's going to go on. Also, you know, one of the underlying uh, issues here is the Fed is relying on unemployment numbers being very low. But a, a, re, a recent report put out by the U.S. government has indicated that because of COVID, there's been a net decrease in the, employed, um, in the number of people in employment by 500,000 since 2019. And that explains why there is a seemingly high, you know, very high uh, employment, but uh, also very, very high uh, you know, increases in prices. Generally, they don't go hand in hand. They are opposites. So at this juncture, I, you know, people are going to say in a couple of months that the Fed acted on bad information. They're going to say that they uh, did what they could. But right now, um, people should be very, very uh, wary. Uh, there's going to be more uh, drops going into the market as people understand that the Fed is literally, uh, you know, strangling uh, the baby before it can get out of the bathwater. Mm -hmm. And Jiahe, so U.S. stock tumbled on the latest inflation news. So how do you explain the market response to it? And how do you see the markets and the U.S. stocks, which has already been on a decades high level this year? Yeah, I mean, when we when we look at the stock market of the United States, uh, it has gone through well, as you mentioned, a decade of uh, bull market. So the, the stocks in, stock indices have like tripled um, or increased by maybe five times in the past uh, decade. So that has been a lot of increasing. So the market is really at um, a valuation that is relatively not uh, not cheap, or probably we can say a bit expensive, especially for some of the tech companies, not traditional companies, but the tech companies. So the market has already been um, quite expensive in this case. Um, uh, then when we had the Fed signs that they're going to possibly uh, raising the interest rate by uh, 75 basis points or 100 basis points, then the market will get a hit. That, that's what actually happens with the United States a stock market um, in the history that we have saw it for many, many times. Uh, remember what happened back in 2000, 2008, all these kinds of uh, bear markets were caused by US, uh, well, by the increasing of interest rate by the Fed. So I think this time it might be the same thing that when we have an interest rate hike, the stock market will drop because it has been increased by so much, you know. Mm. But you mentioned the uh, Federal Reserve aggressive, you know, monetary policy. So which solve the problem of the high inflation or would cost jobs and prompt people, you know, to stop spending? 
Well, I think it will do both. I mean, it will solve uh, the problem of high inflation by some extent, and it will make people unemployment, uh, unemployed and stop spending. You know, every time when the Fed uh, rises the interest rate, it results in both things, it, the slowdown of the economic growth and the slowdown of inflation. Remember the hyperinflation that the U.S. economy had back in the 1970s? It was stopped uh, by... Uh, a, a large rising of interest rates, probably much larger than 75 basis points, uh, maybe like three to five percent at last. Um, but it also resulted in the slowdown of economic uh, growth. Uh, and the very uh, large, uh, very uh, important, impressive example that we had in the past was back in 2008. You know, when the U.S. said, "Okay, we are having too hard an economy," and the Fed said, "We're going to rise the interest rate." Uh, what the world economy had was the 2008 financial crisis, um, and financial prices fell. Uh, people got employed, unemployed. Everything just went out. But I don't say this time it will be as serious as it was back in 2008. It well, I mean, 2008 was quite an exceptional thing, uh, but. Uh, but when the interest rate goes up by like 100 or 200 basis points, it will hurt the economy by some extent. Mm. And I know so the US dollar index is already at multi-year high and this is making other currencies so much lower in comparison. So how will a stronger dollar impact other economies? Well, not well. I mean, it's it's uh, really causing havoc. Dollar-denominated debts are becoming unsustainable. Um, but I'm going to disagree with my colleague. This is going to be worse than 2008, and I think we should check back in a year and just see exactly where we are. Uh, the the confluence of events, 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck while you're killing the economy. This is not going to help. You're going to put people into dire straits, not going to be able to afford their mortgages, uh, and they're not going to be able to afford food. There's going to be stimulus programs. More debt is going to be piled on. Uh, the Fed seems to be fighting the last war, uh, you know, despite the fact that this is a completely new uh, kind of scenario. So I, I don't see any hope uh, out there for this. Uh, mm -hmm. People should be looking to be very, very conservative. So I know we talk about the inflation and President Biden also celebrated the passage of his Inflation Reduction Act. The White House called it one of the most consequential pieces of legislation in American history. But my question is, how will the voters respond to the law as they head to the polls in November for the midterm elections? Well, right now, there's a lot of optimism uh, going across the board because of uh, gas prices going down. Uh, that, that has a very visceral effect on people's daily life. But, you know, uh, Biden crowing about uh, this, uh, this legislation, is, it's at best a long-term, uh, you know, shifting to greener uh, sources of, of uh, energy that's really good, but it's not really going to affect inflation in the next couple of years. Mm. Uh, it's just simply posturing for politics for the midterms. So, Jiahe, do you agree with Aina? Uh, well, when we look at the inflation in the United States, it's really been uh, going on over here and it's putting a lot of pressure onto the stock market and the economy. You know, it's, it's, it's like a bomb that has been there for, for a few years. And, um, you know, getting this bomb away is, is really causing uh, a lot of things. You can't really get this bomb away without doing anything.
Mm-hmm. Well, we're speaking with Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Novum Archi Technologies, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Music